matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Don't make a bit of sense to me. If that's what being crazy is, then I'm senseless, out of it, gone down the road, wacko. But no more, no less. Welcome to Unhinged, episode 15, recorded June 26th, 2016. Today we have a very special guest with us. It's Jamie Rickle, Doug's brother. Welcome, Jamie. Glad to be here, guys. Well, I really want to thank Jamie for coming on the show. It's It means a lot to me. Um, having a disconnect from my family uh, due to this malignant disease um, Jamie's been the, the one key factor in the family, sort of the de facto liaison, um, between what I'm going through in the family and, but he's been able to really quote unquote, get it and get the, the severity of, of this particular, uh, ailment and, um, you know, been, in, been able to relate to me, um, uh, uh, better than uh, any other part of my family. And um, he's got a great heart. We've been close for, you know, all our lives. And matter of fact, the intro song you just played was from the movie My Bodyguard um, with Chris Makepeace and Matt Dillon and Adam Baldwin and probably early 80s. But uh, Jamie and I love that movie. And uh, so I thought it was apropos. So welcome, and again, thanks for coming on. Yep, I appreciate that. Uh, it's good to be here, good to be uh, connected, and uh, I've, I've listened to uh, your work, and I, I uh, admire what you guys are doing and bringing attention to the plight, and hopefully uh, some other people get a better understanding of this disease. I just have to say... Uh that this is the first time I've talked to Jamie in I don't know how many years. Um, we were, we were friends when we were all living in Florida. Uh, we were, we were even in a band together. Um, and it's really, really good to hear your voice again, Jamie. Yeah. Likewise, Ed. And I want to thank you from behind the scenes for always being there for my brother. And, uh, you've been, uh, the steadying factor in his life and something he's needed you're more so than just a friend. I think uh, you're like another family member, certainly to him. And well, he is. Uh, he's my brother. From that, he really is my brother. I mean, that's there's just no way around it. That's that's what it is. Ever since we met. Well, I would say if uh, if I'm deemed to have a big heart, you're deemed to have a an even bigger heart. So uh, yeah, it's good to hear you, and good to think about some of the memories playing in a band together, and <laughs> your family and your brother, and so we had a lot of history together, or have. Yes. A lot of history together. Yes. Well, you have a big heart, and uh, so I don't think it's a matter of the size of of your hearts. I think the, you know, the real dynamic here behind everything is is family versus friendship. Um, no matter how unconditional the friendship might be, you know, family gets a lot more complicated, and you know, there's there's sort of a lot more, you know, inner quarrels and, and, um, 
you know, you grew up together and then all of a sudden this happens and it's, it doesn't make sense. And there's so much inherent love there because, you know, you, you grew up, you, you developed together. And so, you know, there is that distinction. Um, yeah, there's, you know. there's definitely, I mean, when you're around family, there's a different vibe I feel, uh, than when you're around close friends. Uh, I mean, I love my family to death. Uh, but I, I, I kind of see that I act a little different when I'm around them. And I think it has to do with, you know, history and, uh, uh, how we've, we've been with each other throughout our lives and everything. And, uh, it, sometimes it's really hard for family to understand things that, uh, that friends might not, uh, it might not be hard for friends because you, you kind of have a different dynamic, a different relationship. Well, and I've, as I've mentioned in many a podcast, um, the difference between this neurological disease and others is invisible. And mm -hmm. that is really hard for the family to even be able to fathom and to sort of make sense of it. Um, you know, so, you know, I give credit, you know, in that respect. And it's very difficult. This is a. Uh, you know, it's a, a neurological wrath of God disease that's a malignant disease in that it affects everyone around you, mm -hmm. family, friends, work, uh, relationships, everything. Um, and what I've always, you know, been trying to reiterate through the shows is that, you know, there's regular unipolar depression, you know, your standard depression where somebody may have you know, something happened in their lives, uh, a death of the family, divorce, uh, you know, uh, loss of work, etc. And um, and that's a standard depression that is not pleasant, but easily treatable. Uh, a lot of people, you know, will go on Prozac for a short period while they get their lives sort of back together, maybe get some, some talk therapy, and they come off it and we're back to normal where this begins. This is, you know, only 10% of uh, people who suffer from depression suffer from this type of depression called treatment-resistant depression, also known as severe intractable depression. Intractable uh, meaning very hard to solve, if not impossible. Um, so it's a neurological disease first, as Alzheimer's is, as Parkinson's is, as as, as having a stroke. You know, mm -hmm. this is not something that you can shake off, um, you know, and it goes in categories. And if you're in the severe category, uh, you don't have the neurotransmitters in your brain working so that you're not capable of functioning basically at all in the severe category. So I want to ask Jamie a question. Um, when did you realize that Doug might have a mental illness? And when did you actually um, think that uh, it was something more than just being, you know, depressed? Well, I think uh, since I'm representing the family, I would say uh, if just before I answer the question specifically, I could say there's definitely an evolution of, uh, of, of knowledge gaining. So initially probably there was the Doug's a lazy ass, uh, guy who's doing drugs and 
wasting his life away and doesn't want to help himself frustration Mm -hmm. and so it things evolve and then either you get to the understanding that he doesn't have the control over it or you don't and you remain frustrated which is what uh, creates the chasm in family familial relationships Mm -hmm. so uh when when did i get it i'm not i'm not sure I i don't think i recognized it as uh when we were kids I had no idea. I don't even know that I remember that you went to therapy, which apparently you did as a young little dude. My first, yeah, 38 years ago was my first uh, psychologist. And, you know, if you were friends with the late Robin Williams, uh, who committed suicide um, based on the same neurological illness, uh, if you were friends with him, you probably wouldn't have known it either because he put the mask on. You hide it in shame, and you and you're you're looking for um, validation. You want people to like you, and you hide it. You know, and you try to get through work. Uh, and Jamie will attest we have he has uh, uh, a direct um, uh, perspective on this, but. Um, you try and get through the day and then you look forward to going home and self-medicating, trying to take some of the pain away and you spend the rest of your day hysterical crying. Jamie, did you ever uh, notice or, or see any of this firsthand uh, as kids? Uh, I mean, I, I know you you probably saw him be moody, um, but how how serious did you think it was? No, I didn't see it at all. Not as kids. I just, maybe I just wasn't, I uh, didn't have eyes wide open. So, and maybe I just didn't understand it. I think I first started to notice it as you, you mentioned about work. Maybe it was, I'd have to think about this, but maybe when we were, we opened up a pet store together. Mm-hmm. And I remember early on, Doug just wasn't able to uh, commit to that process. And I, I remember going to his apartment, and it was as disheveled as you'd want to ever see a place. Right. And there were just things everywhere. Just a guy. It was just uh, symbolic of a guy out of control, not in control of his life. And that was somewhat masked as well. Certainly, I saw Doug uh, unavailable to me uh, in the pet business, and, and there was no support there. There wasn't any consistency, but... I didn't really know what was causing that, and then I saw the apartment, and then, and then later on, I think the uh, the acknowledgement of you know he was self medicating, and that's not something you know I'm like a little bit of a health freak, so mm-hmm. I probably judge that more so than need need be back then uh, versus now understanding why people have to self medicate, and now I'm very sensitive to it. So when I see someone doing drugs or uh, otherwise, you know, not recreationally, I, I, I don't judge them anymore. I say, mm-hmm. that poor guy, he can't tolerate his life. Right. He's got to escape. So I have a much different perspective on it now, thanks to Doug. But uh, So I don't really know when, when it hit. Now, I, I don't even know that we fully understood even when we did an intervention for Doug because mm-hmm. we thought that was mostly just about drugs. And, and, and we, I don't know that we all knew that... Um, because we knew he didn't, we thought he didn't want to help himself. Right. And essentially he couldn't. So we did the intervention hoping that we can force the issue, but, you know, not understanding he was treatment resistant even at that point. 
Right. So that was more futile than anything else, which I think prompted his his uh, exit to the lovely country of Canada as far away from the family as possible, because at the time we didn't fully understand that. Yeah, and I've said in other shows that, you know, like when you watch an, an intervention, if you've seen that show, you know, um, they're um, addicted to drugs first. They may have some underlying uh, trauma early on in life or some psychological issues, uh, but in my case, it's a neurological slash psychological disease first, drug second as self-medication to try and ease some of this pain that people without this major intractable depression um, just couldn't fathom. I mean, and Jamie's been through pain. Uh, Jamie, you know, at a younger age went through Crohn's disease and, and he was, you know, as far as I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think our, our mother had found him in his room you know, doubled over in, in pain, just, just writhing. And he was always the guy that, that never admitted he was sick. Everything was always fine. You know, he didn't want the attention. So seeing that, then obviously she knew something was wrong. Um, so, you know, if you sort of compare it to my disease, it's like when she saw him double over in pain, like, would she just go, Ah, shake it off. Yeah, he's just making it up, you know? Right, right. Because that's a very physical disease. It's something that's very visible and, and, you know, there's pain and it's very obvious that there's something wrong. Uh, Whereas with anything psychological, a lot of people first will assume, oh, snap out of it. He can snap it. He's just being a baby or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Which is not possible. Yeah, and again, we're talking about neurology. And yeah. and uh, and again, you know, what I don't understand is the rest of the family. Jamie has gotten to a point where he's gotten it um, so much so that he brought up a a great idea on, you know, making bracelets like live strong. Let's say mm-hmm. so because I told him that you know I've become a mental health advocate, and my ideas. You know, my my plan is to spread the awareness and educate and 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 help as much as I can, uh, and and keep people from losing thirty years of their lives that you don't get back. Um, and he said, you know, spreading the awareness, you know, maybe making bracelets with you know, uh, fight TRD or or whatever you know he was talking about, and and that really impressed me. I was like, you know. Wow, you know, if somebody's going to get it, you know, like Ed, um, as much as you can again without having experiencing it, uh, experienced it, um, you know, it, it really blew me away. Yeah, well, yeah, I think there's credence to it. Uh, if you want to, I know you focus on it a lot. So if you want to educate the world, you got to start with one person at a time. And and uh, you know, I don't know if you have some symbol with. Uh, I think you said some like have some kind of brain on crutches, you know, and. Who knows? Make it family friendly so the the rest of the world can start understanding. And you're not you're not some loser in everybody's mind. You're a guy that's dealing with a disease you can't you can't really conquer. Yeah, in my mind, I mean, our real tool now is the podcast. So I guess in my mind, it was sort of one side would be unhinged podcast, and the other side would be you know uh, 
fight TRD or, or fight the stigma or fight the power, whatever. Fight the power. You know? <laughs> We're still looking. Yeah, I mean, we love that idea. We're looking into it, seeing uh, how cost effective it is to uh, to get uh, bracelets made. Uh, so, so we are doing some research. Thanks for that You're idea, welcome. Jamie. Uh, I love it. I think that's something that uh, can definitely go a long way. Uh, if and when we do get those ready, we'll we'll put them up on the website uh, and promote them from there. Cool. Do you remember? Now, obviously, we're going a, a lot further back, but you know, you and I used to go to camp together, summer camp. Uh, we're three years apart, so I probably started going when I was six, seven. You know, where you were nine, ten. Um, did you notice anything there? Because, you know, the, the typical thing that happens is your parents drop you off and, you know, for your two-month stint or whatever. And, you know, Jamie was always part of the regular crowd. He was athletic. He was he had a lot of friends. And when they left, I don't think he saw it, but I was just, I, I just was in hysterics and frightened beyond belief, you know, because... I was a bully. I was bullied through my whole childhood up to basically the age of about 17, 18. Uh, and that was my first experience with bullying. And I even remember when we did go to camp together, we didn't always, we, it was not every year that we were at camp together. Um, but as we got older, you know, I would kind of rely on him as my bigger brother to fight some of my battles for me i don't know if you remember that or if you remember any details of seeing me sort of not with any groups off to the side off to myself well i tell you though uh, i i also had the uh, hysterics we would load the bus and i cried every year and then i would just tell the guy sitting next to me i had something in my eye try to cover that up um but but so but yours lasted beyond the bus ride my i would get there and and uh, settle in and have fun. But I don't remember that. I don't know that you leaned on me enough to be the big brother who helped support you. I'm not sure you did that. Or if I wasn't accessible or didn't uh, even understand that I needed to do that. It could have been my fault. Or it could have been that I was a skinny loser and that, that the bully would have laughed at me and then punched me in the nose. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I don't, you know, again, I don't have any vi vivid memories left or very few, but but I do remember some dynamic uh, like that. Really? Uh, and you were there for me. Uh, I don't know how many times. It was not many, but uh, not that you weren't willing, but that I would come to you. Uh, but I do remember that. Huh. So I guess I'm just sort of trying to, to dig. And uh, we've talked about the first psychologist that I'd met when we had first made a move from Montreal, Canada to south florida which is basically like you know moving from like mexico to the moon you know <laughs> like uh so you know uh do you remember what that move was like for you and was it uh as traumatic i guess as it was for me and uh so culturally different and such yeah, well, I remember. I think the older you are, the more difficult it is because I moved when I was 12 and a half. And uh, I remember remember we grew up in a little private Jewish neighborhood where everyone was Jewish. And I think I think the 
the, everything's Jewish. I think the streets were Jewish. The uh, the lamps were Jewish. Like everything was. You get what I'm saying here? Very private. No, it was, <laughs> and I, I've said that in other podcasts where, like, I never had my parents never said, "Oh, the Le- the O'Learys are coming no. over, the Jacksons are." No, they came over. They cleaned the house. That was the only time they came over. It was always, you know, the the Steins and the Coens and the. Does a Jewish lamp burn for only eight days? <laughs> well done. Very bright humor. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You turned me on with that one. <laughs> We're trying to have a serious conversation. <laughs> Sorry, good Barbara. Job, that, was, that was good. No, I think it's always tough yeah. for me because when you move in your 12 and a half, I was about to have my bar mitzvahs, and, which I wasn't into anyway. So now I had to fly friends from Montreal to celebrate that little occasion because I didn't have friends here. And and culturally, back to the Jewish thing. So I, I remember driving back from the airport. And by the way, this is the best thing that ever happened to me was I didn't go to a, I didn't continue my isolationism in the little Jewish community. I got exposed to everybody. And so I was supposed to go to a private school called Nova. And then for whatever reason, I found that I was going to this place called Attics. And a friend of mine, Tony Flans, who had moved there a year earlier from Montreal to Florida, went to Attics and he warned me, he said, it's right in the middle of a really bad neighborhood and you're probably going to get beaten up a whole lot. And so that's what I was told there, 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 there's where you're going. So I freaked out about that, but I knew Tony, he walked me through the school the first day and, and I didn't get beaten up and, but I did meet blacks, whites, uh, Mexicans and, uh, and everything, uh, in between. So that was the greatest thing for me because I got exposed to the world and, and became, incredibly tolerant of everybody which shaped me today i think i'm a better guy today because we didn't uh grow up continually in that isolationist environment um but it was a culture well and we and we grew up like you say in that neighborhood and we went to parochial school um all jewish school and then we ended up again in south florida um the school was on J. A. Eli Street, which is basically like being on Martin Luther King Street. Um, you unfortunately, or you fortunately, uh, had a few years ahead of me. My first experience um, was trying to, you know, of course, avoid all bullies because I was just this little meek uh, kid who had no self-concept, etc. But I remember sitting on the top of the bleachers. Um, outside, and my first experience was um, a black guy coming up to me and, like, you know, in his own vernacular, you know, what the hell are you doing up here in my crib? And he pushed me off the bleachers, and, you know, they were probably 10 feet high, and I broke my wrist. Uh, That was my first experience. Remember that? No, I remember that. No, I thought you got pushed off a diving board into like a waterless pool that was my memory but uh, bleachers works so yeah i remember that 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 might have happened I, I my memory loss you know and but no i don't think it was a pool pond pond pool or, that's regardless shit. you were bullied and you broke your wrist yeah yeah uh, so yeah and uh, i was i was uh intensely intensely bullied you know they talk about bullying now and i was just said you know i was just um you know um 
brutalized or whatever, but but bullying is 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 really the term. And I know there are a lot of new terms out there now, but when you're bullied at, at ages of, of six and eight, nine, 12, 14, those are all your formative years. Those are all the years that you, you develop all your learned behaviors and your self-concept. And so, you know, that's why I ended up headed. Yeah, that couldn't have helped. Um, especially since, you know, back then you didn't realize you had any sort of neurological issue and that sort of bullying is just going to make things worse. Yeah, and they didn't know about these things back then. They didn't know about, you know, again, I give my parents credit uh, in one sense. I mean, they were hands-off parents, if you will. Um, but, you know, they didn't, you know, they didn't, you know, no parents are given manuals how to be parents, how to mm -hmm. be parents. But in unfortunately, in my parents' case, they had a child with a neurological illness and a learning disability. So, and I was the fourth child. So, and it was in our culture to kind of have three, four children. That was just the way it went. And um, I think by the time it got to me, I know I was kind of, handed off a little bit to my siblings, especially my sister, um, because they probably wanted a little bit of a break at that point. And who could, so I'm, I'm curious about that. So Jamie, did, did you feel the same way? Or do you feel like when, when you were growing up, since you were older, your parents were still more hands-on? Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm, sometimes I've got the old head in the sand about that. I, I think, uh, I, don't, I, I remember my mother always being there. You know, every day we'd come home from school and making sure I had Howard Johnson's chocolate ice cream to eat. So I, I don't know. I don't know that, again, I was uh, – he was probably more focused on that because he was the fourth child and he was already a, a miserable human because he was getting bullied and lacking self-confidence and mm -hmm. needed the parents more than maybe I needed them. So, so right. I felt like, uh, like I was raised pretty well differently and different experience than, than Doug's perception of his upbringing. Well, I mean, if I elaborate, I would say, you know, I, um, I said on the last show about, uh, the, the days I've spent one-on-one -on -one with my father and it was one day and one experience only, you know, my father never sat down, did my homework with me or gave me advice and said, you know, here's, how to do taxes or how to, um, you know, get a loan for a car and, and all that stuff. It was, it was just kind of like they figured, and I think this is sort of old country mentality is, you know, they'll grow up, you know, it just, it happens. Mm -hmm. And in these days we know you need to be much more hands-on, much more aware of what's going on with your child, both, uh, within the home, outside of the home, and um, because things that you miss uh, can be, you know, very, very detrimental, uh, as we see clearly in my case. I think that's old school, too. I agree, Doug, is that, uh, you know, our father worked his butt off and worked in a town that was far away from home, so he would leave early, come back late. The typical cliched, you know, uh, 
guy that wasn't around as much. And he took this, took us on trips. I remember his generosity taking me skiing and what have you. And so he was, but, but, you know, I'm a father now and I'm far more hands-on. I think most of my friends are far more hands-on today with their children and would recognize uh, problems like a guy like Doug had far more readily than when we were kids. It's just, it's just different today. It just, it is different. Yeah, I think there's more of an awareness now, uh, partially because of, you know, much better communication, the internet and things like that. Uh, so things things get around easier, uh, and people can can learn about uh, different situations in a much easier way. Uh, so there is that awareness, which I think is is helping tremendously. Um, and it's it's too bad that you know. Uh, Doug having to grow up with uh, neurological problems in an era where that wasn't really very well understood just made it worse. Yeah. And I've always said that, you know, we were always given everything. We, we grew up in a, you know, middle upscale uh, neighborhood and home. We were always given what we we were needed. um, But uh, the meat and potatoes weren't there. The, the the relationships weren't there. There was a lot of love. There's a lot of natural love there, you know. Um, but but the work was not being done. I I cannot imagine growing up without meat and potatoes. <laughs> well, no, we had that. We had brisket and tongue. I'm a vegetarian. I take offense to that. <laughs> but um, Jamie would never try the tongue because um, I think his his motto was that. He didn't want to ever taste anything that would taste him back. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but uh, my father forced it on me a couple of times. I think I threw up a little in my mouth. But ah, I uh, love it. I think it's delicious. <laughs> but you know what I was saying by that, Mister yes. Food. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so you know, I have my own addictions. <laughs> yes. You know, there, there's a couple of things to cover. I mean, depression is not just a, a medical matter. It's a family one. Uh, yeah. You know, the behaviors and mood of a depressed person affect the whole family. Like I said, it's a, a malignant disease. Um, there's the irritability, which sets off conflicts and, you know, derails the whole family dynamics that are going on. Uh, mm. You know, the negative thought patterns which become just, you know, a prism of pessimism for everyone, uh, that withdraw that, that naturally happens and disrupts the relationships. And, and if, if, if the, the person suffering withdraws, then a lot of times the family will withdraw and then learn to adapt without them. Um, I think that's what my oldest brother has done. And Jamie has a little bit of a theory on that, but um, he just doesn't get it for some reason. He doesn't, won't, can't. I don't know if you want to elaborate on that, uh, elaborate on that, Jamie, or not. But um, you know, uh, I'd, I'd like to understand it uh, because I care. Yeah, hopefully you can reconnect because he's a good guy and you're a good guy, and yeah, maybe he just doesn't maybe get it to the extent or. He's told me that uh, it's just hard for him to handle and uh, deal with it, and maybe he feels like he can't help, and 
and ultimately it affects him negatively. And maybe you can look at that as a selfish bent or that he's, he's protecting himself and that it, I don't, I don't see as a, as a selfish bent. I would see it as something to like his self protection, you know, and like, you know, he has responsibilities and things and it's just, it's just like, I can't deal with that. But this is a family member and this is a family member that you, if you've been listening or, or, and I know you guys have been passing on and again, being the sort of de facto liaison for me, you and Lori, my sister, um, you know, to be able to sort of, you know, make him understand the, the gravity of the situation. And this is not a, a, an optional deal. Uh, you know, the easiest way to say it is, you know, nobody for 47 years would do this to themselves. I mean, that's, would be the ultimate masochist. So, uh, if you quote unquote, get it as best as you can, um, then you have to contact them. I mean, it's just what you do as family. And if not, like you, Jamie and I, we've said, you know, if, you know, if we didn't know them, we wouldn't necessarily be their friend. So, so I, I'm thinking one thing. Um, I, I totally agree with you. I, I, the, the one thing I have to, if I put myself in, in Robbie's shoes, if he does finally get it, <clears throat> you, you'd think maybe there's a, a hint of guilt in him um, in the sense that he might think, oh my God, all these years I've been so, you know, uh, negative towards him because he, he was acting this way or whatever. Now I kind of understand what he's going through, but I don't want to deal with it because I feel so guilty for what how I was in the past. I mean, this is just a, a theory, but... No, but uh, but exactly what you're saying, if he said to me, of all the anger and all the resentment that I've, you know, grown over the years over that situation, if he said those words to me, problem solved. Right. You know, hit the, hit the reset button, read about it a little bit, understand it, let me talk to you about it. You know, I, I want this. Family is everything. If you got mm -hmm. nothing, you got family. And right. uh, I know that's old-fashioned, but, you know, it is. I mean, I love Jamie to, to – I mean, we, we, we were closest in age, so we had a lot of things in common. But, mm -hmm. you know, we, like you and me, Ed, um, had those, those moments of, of finishing each other's sentences and just mm – -hmm just uh feeling the same way about a lot of things idealistically and 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 all that so mm -hmm. you know um can i finish that thought you know, for a there's a special bond there and and that's why i'm glad that, that was he's, a joke actually he's that de facto liaison <laughs> right what did you say jamie <laughs> nothing of substance <laughs> what was the crap? I was trying to be funny <laughs> so what about uh so laurie has come around you said well, yeah, I mean, uh, I was, you know, I had set it up, I'll call it taking in the high road, but, you know, I had set it up with both of them that, like, let's hit the reset button, I explained, you know, exactly the neurology and et cetera and, and the differences and, and 
express my love and 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 my ultimate wishes um and and I left it at that and mm -hmm. I decided that you know what I did the right thing now if they truly quote unquote get it then I'll hear from them even more often than I ever did um it took a little while and then Jamie contacted me Lori still hasn't um and I'm not contacting her until she contacts me because I think I set it up that way and I want to know that you know it it will show me that she's compassionate she's thinking about me she's um you know um being empathetic and doing the things she should do as a caring sister just as Jamie's doing as a caring brother yeah i think she's yeah but she's Sorry, also she she has uh you know been there for you recently i know uh, to oh, some she's degree. been there a lot for me. Uh, I mean, believe me, I owe her a lot, and I tell her that every time we speak. Uh, you know, but in this case, it's it's a matter of of constant communication, and 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 again, not like you know checking in like you're a patient and and all that. Right. Just kind of like, you know, how's this week been for you versus last week? Or I saw a funny movie. You should check it out. It'll cheer you up yeah. or just stuff like that. Make me not feel like the victim and the patient. Make me feel like your brother, your loving uh, yeah. uh, brother. So Jamie, do you talk to Lori about this? Yeah, we talk and we talk more than maybe Doug knows about him and, and how uh, concerned she is. And so there's a lot of thought behind the scenes. You know, in fact, I talked to your mother this morning and, she asked me had I talked to you, and of course I told her I did, and that you were you had experienced some uh, improvement of late, and and then she asked me if Lori had talked to you, and I said yes, and she's like, wow, why doesn't anyone tell me? So there's a lot of uh, a lot of concern behind the scenes, even um, like again more so maybe than you realize, which is maybe should make you feel better that there's even if there's not great. A great amount of communication. There's a fair amount of thought about you and concern and empathy, like you had mentioned. Well, what stands out with what you just said is behind the scenes. This shouldn't be behind the scenes. This is about communication. We only have a certain amount of years that we live, and we may walk up tomorrow with a major coronary. God forbid. But but that's that's just a fact and my mother has issues um with drama and not reacting well and being actually counterproductive uh to this whole matter and there was a recent drama with her new husband um that um just dropped himself into the middle of this drama and said some horrid things uh, and actually, I had sent um, my sister Lori um, the the email um, that had been sent back and forth, and she was incensed of what he wrote because it was it was bad, and she said that she went to him and she went off on him how dare you and all that so it really made me feel good that she she jumped to my to my aid um you know this is a guy who's in his in his 80s um and you know 
at that age, unfortunately, you know, you just, it's even harder for him being in a, even another generation to, to be able to get this and to be able to understand as opposed to just being this, you know, just infatuated, uh, in love guy with this woman who's, you know, jumping to her defense. Yeah. Doc, that's exactly it. It's it's, just that he doesn't get it. That's just indicative of that. And absolutely. He's just doing it as a defense mechanism because he cares. I think his motive was bad. He just didn't know how to react and doesn't get it. So he's not going to react properly in this instance. Uh, the key now is, is, you know, no game playing. There's no teams here. You know, it's just like, I'm an open book on this show. I mean, really open, and Ed can attest to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's the way it should be with family. You know, if you're concerned or you think this or that, even if it's negative, call me and ask me. Don't talk to this one and say, did you talk to him? And blah, blah, blah. You know, put all your, your drama aside and, and you know, I, I sound like a, you know, like a, a love in, but you know, that, you know, that's what it's about. This is about understanding each other. We're all different people. We're all going through different things. And, um, communication is key. Words are very powerful and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It's tough. I, 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 you know, looking at it from the point of view of your family, I, I would assume it's very difficult for them uh, to connect and make that, um, you know, not have a drama filled, uh, discussion with you because there's so much emotion involved. There's history there. There's, um, there's guilt, there's, uh, anger, there's all this stuff. So to try to actually start that conversation is, is a big jump. It's, it's hard. Um, I'm glad Jamie that you're, uh, you're on board and you've, you've, uh, reconnected and, um, and I think that helps tremendously. And I think, uh, it's something that's, you know, uh, might come with time for the rest of the family. Yeah. I'll do my best to be the advocate for that. That's great. As best as I can. Like I said, I know you will. I know you will. Uh, I I'm still a little bit miffed and I guess it was probably a timing thing because we've come a long way since 2012 since my brain surgery, but, um, I don't want to get, I'm not, I'm not trying to get negative or judgmental, but, uh, the only people that, that came to my hospital bed when I had a 12 hour major brain surgery, uh, was my cousin Dre, uh, and my social worker. And it took for me to, to have some, form of remission uh a year and two months later and once my family realized oh he's doing better uh, then they graciously offered me uh to fly me down to florida um is that mean that they can deal with things when things are good but they can't deal with things when things are not good yeah probably some of that it's hard to say yeah i think that's because it's harder but you got to be strong and and work. It's a lazy way out. It just is. And at the detriment of the person you're supposed to be loving. Yeah, but for, for instance, 
uh, we, you know, we flew you down when times were good, but certainly when times were bad and you were down here, we knew that it was detrimental to you to be here because uh, we know that you have trouble seeing some of the successes maybe the other family members have and, 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 and the sadness that you have because you were dealt such a poor hand and you, you don't do well in, in, in groups when you're down. So we wouldn't have, we don't really think in terms of let's get Doug down when he's really doing poorly because we know that that's not what you want and you don't do well in that setting. Well, I agree, but those are the things that have to change. And no matter if I'm with you in person or I'm not, those feelings are always there. So better to be with you and go through those things and communicate those things. Although at the same time, being neurological, if I'm in the severe category, there is no getting through. So yeah, it's tough. It's it, tough to it's, see it. it. It's a tough thing. It's a really tough thing. Depression, uh, you know has a huge impact on families and families have a huge impact on depression. I mean, uh, so, you know, so speaking of, of family and depression, I'm curious to find out, Doug, are you the first in the family to have, uh, this type of issue, any sort of mental illness or has there, do you know, do you guys know if there's been a history of this in your family uh, going past other generations? The only history that we, that we really know of, and unfortunately with my, mat, my mother's um, sort of dramatic side of things, or, or at least way of communicating, um, she used to talk about uh, my Auntie Ruth, who was my father's sister, um, mm -hmm. And she was in and out of mental hospitals and on lithiums and those types of uh, drugs of, of the past and current. Um, but it was always the, the tinge of the conversation was always, oh, God, Ruthie, she's the crazy one of the family. And it was very negative, at least mm -hmm. the way that's the way I picked it up. Jamie, do you agree on that? Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. No, there was no empathy there from that perspective. And I'm not trying to disparage our mother. I'm just trying to say how it was communicated to us. Yeah, no, there was lack of empathy. It was more, uh, that's the crazy one. Uh, yeah, there was, it just didn't come from, uh, from, from an empathetical. Is that a word? Empathetical? Yeah. Uh, I think that's conjugated correctly, but, but empathetic. Yeah. And, and yeah, and she just didn't, uh, have the patience for it you know, and it's unfortunate. She, she even said we had a show with uncle Murray, uh, Murray Goldsmith, uh, a few shows ago. It's our highest rated show so far, um, out of 13 completed shows, believe it or not. And the guy was amazing. And I, I, I encourage you to listen to it. Uh, the guy's 77 and he's just as sharp as he was before, but we heard that about Murray too, you know, always negative, uh, because mm -hmm. the two of them are completely different people. You know, my mother's hyper drama about everything and he's Mr. Laid back about everything. And they're trying to have this brother sister thing, but it's more detrimental than not almost. Cause they're just like, you know, they fight, then they're like, oh, let's try and get, the, 
you know, get along and then they fight and they're trying, you know, and it's, it's been going on our whole lives. Um, but, but Murray has a much better perspective on human nature. Um, but she's quite close minded, unfortunately. And, and I wish she would open it up because I said, you know, you know, being a parent back then was extremely difficult. Being a parent in general is explain, extremely difficult. You don't get a manual. Uh, you didn't then, and again with child uh, children with with uh, underlying issues makes it even harder. Um, I could tell you that there's there's a connection there if I had to think about it between her relationship with Magic Murray and her relationship with you. She didn't want me to be like him. Well, but I don't even know what like him means because Murray's an anomaly, he's an enigma wrapped in a riddle, like he's. He's a super smart guy. With but if you listen to the show, you realize of all the stories you heard, the way he he eloquently put it, this dude was was understood the the human behavior before a lot of people did. Yeah, but and it wasn't bullshit. What was bullshit is that he needed to have a business manager because he didn't have that sense. He was just this grandiose thinker or whatever. So he needed his Larry David to a Seinfeld. And that's what I believe. Yeah, no, that's that's possible. Uh, but there's something there's some there's some issue with Magic Murr because as the, Oh, yeah, 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 the, yeah. Like he, he he well, they both don't have patience for each other. No, no, no I'm not talking they're in a relationship. Just she couldn't identify or understand what it is about her brother that caused him to have his issues maybe didn't function as well in, in this society as others that would be earning an income paying his own way not uh you know i don't want to go into all the familial issues there but but there was some frustration over murray and why is he different and why is he a drain somewhat and now i've got a son that's showing signs that magic murr did and and maybe instead of understanding your neurological thing, it was more like, oh, you're lazy like Murray or whatever. I don't even know what's wrong or if anything's wrong with Murray. Well, no, it's because he was all – it's the same Larry David did to, to, to Jerry. It's because he was all right brain uh, and had no left. And and she couldn't understand how some guy with this kind of talent couldn't put it together. And that was – you know, that's that happens. Yeah, I know that. And I get it. And I, I, I hate that we even have to somehow uh, fixate on fitting into this godforsaken society. But even a right-brained actor waits tables and pays his own way and doesn't doesn't leech off. I don't, again, I don't want to get too far into it, but there was definitely something else. Missing. Yeah, I think he, he, there was a probably a, a, an aspect of him is like, you know, I'm too good to do that because I have these grandiose ideas. And uh, But you know what? He always made his way. And I'll tell you one thing. If you look at all his kids now, you know, Faye's had her issues, whatever. Joanne is a perfect person. And Joel is the perfect human. Uh, Joel has, has seven kids and they own like a thousand instruments. And almost every week they get together and they just jam together. And every kid is completely different personality wise. Some look like Tina, some don't. But in their own. Uh, individual way they're incredible kids yeah he's an awesome guy he was always one so, of the kinder so as humans. a as a father he was a success so you know i i understand what you're saying but uh you know we can't 
all be perfect like me, but you know, he, <laughs> he did that right. And I give that credit. We didn't have uh, parenting like we should have, but yet your kids are amazing. Lori's kids are three of like these ridiculously amazing kids. And she's been through a lot. Um, Robbie, I can't speak as much of, but as far as I can see, they're great kids. Great kids. Uh, I wrote Jennifer to congratulate her on her, on her wedding, and she actually did write me back. I don't know if I sent you that. Yep, saw it. Um, but uh, so I know I did the right thing there, and he wrote me back and said, you know, thank you. You, you didn't. I forget how he worded it, but I was kind of matter of fact when I wrote back. I wasn't warm and fuzzy because he's saying like, you know, what's who wrote up? you back? Robbie. Oh, he did. I didn't know. Saying that. thank you for for acknowledging her or and congratulating her, and it's like it's not a matter of acknowledging her; it's that I was able to acknowledge her because I'm in remission right now. You know what right. I mean? And it was just it was a little bit of a, you know, you know, he doesn't fully get it. He's still jabbing a little bit. So it's just again, it's a sign that he doesn't fully understand. But can I mention something that was that's uh, psychologically based, if you will? So I was talking to my, my boss the other day. We were talking about some family stuff, nothing to do with you. And he said the greatest part of being a human being is that on any given day, you can wake up and change everything you want about your life, everything. You can change your job. You can change your. You can get a divorce. You can change what your favorite color is, your car. You can get rid of the Jewish lamp. Whatever <laughs> you want to do, you can alter. Now, I stopped him and said, not unless you're a prisoner, but it's also unless you're imprisoned by your brain and you can't. But, you know, thank you for going yeah. there because I was going to interrupt you and say, but if it's neurological, that is. Yeah. yeah. So but there but if you're in remission or if you're not, you know, there's so many levels of depression. You're in you're you were in a state where you couldn't. And that's where it frustrated everybody that, oh, Doug doesn't want to help himself. That was always the level that's of frustration right. with your thing. But that's because Doug couldn't help himself. Right. And hopefully you can help yourself right. better today than you could, you know, three years ago, if you will. Well, and that's why I'm saying forget the past. It's not what they did then, what you guys did then, but whatever then. It's what everybody does now. Mm -hmm. That's key. So hitting the reset, we all now understand what this shit is. So now it's unconditional support because my love is always going to come out. If I didn't have this disease, man, you know, I'd be like you. I'd be, you know, Mr. Compassion, Mr. Empathy, you know, uh, this disease is not me. I am not this disease. And I got, you know, I got fucked. And, and, and I want to be the kind of person that I know that I really am deep inside my amygdala, Buster. you know, and the other parts <laughs> of my brain that are working. Well, and we see glimpses of that when you are in remission. I mean, no look question. at the last, last few weeks, um, where you've been in a good mood when we recorded one of those shows when we were literally in tears uh, from laughing so hard. Yeah, and I, uh, and, I, and I wrote a post after saying I hadn't laughed that hard in almost 30 years. Yeah, and that, so. that, was, that was the true you. That was the, the real Doug. And, and that's something that, you know, it's, it's rare to find when you're in, in this neurological mess. True. Yeah, and Jamie didn't hear the, hear the part of the show that we're doing, the other part of this show that we had to go through a chat because 
you know, I'm in remission, but at the same time, I'm on disability. And Jamie, I think I told you this, where disability pays you $2,000 under the poverty line. So, you know, your taxes in Florida are buck all nothing compared to what Ed pays. And I pay even more. And I'm making like 16 grand a year. So, like, after my rent is paid, I have 500 and something dollars for the whole month for everything, for bills, for food, for everything. And I got to last week where I ran out of money. I had zero dollars, zero cents. I don't have savings. I don't have credit. And and I just, you know, I was, it just brought me way down. I knew the DBS was still working. Because there's something neurologically better still. I can feel it. Yeah. But that's just inherently going to break you down where, you know, I have to just drink ice water and and try and make something out of the condiments that are in my fridge. Like, a, I mean, I've, I've, had, I've had ketchup sandwiches and shit, you know, and now I'm out of bread. So, you know what I mean? Like, and tomorrow I'm going to a church to get a, uh, a, um, a donated food box, you know. I mean, these are things that when you're in remission, like you want to have control and power and start feeling some autonomy and some control over your life, but yet you can't even go out and buy a pack of gum. That's yeah. humbling and, and it pisses me off and it's, and it, and it's, it's, it's discouraging. Yeah, it's hard. It really, it really sucks, and all it would take is another, you know, hundred dollars a month or whatever. You know what I mean? And like, I would make it, but they give you just enough to you barely make it to the end of the month, and that's without buying fresh fruits and vegetables, where all the natural minerals and vitamins come in. You know, you don't get it from processed canned foods, which is all I'm able to afford, and. So and all the the doctors are saying, "Well, go buy fresh fruits," and I say, "Well, go buy it for me, motherfucker," <laughs> you know, because it ain't within my means. Well, and think of it this way: also, um, you moved out of an apartment uh, into this new apartment you're in now because it's much better. Uh, so you're paying a little bit more, but your old place was was not conducive to helping you out at all it was actually hurting you it's because they stuck all uh, people who are on subsidized housing in one building Mm -hmm. and there are three different kinds of people that were in that building they were ex-cons they were crackheads and they were the mentally ill so you put me in that and you're basically you know just putting a gun to my head and it's it's a poisonous environment it's it's toxic it's it's and potentially deadly i mean there were times when i just said i'm gonna die here you know and and that's and that's that i mean you know people are offering me crack um i'm an open book so i will say i tried it um and luckily i didn't get addicted to it um but uh, I went into an elevator one day, and one guy had felt the need to show me his piece that he had on his side, you know. And I got threatened, and I was bullied, and it just—it was a god awful thing where I just had to go to my social worker and say, "You got to find something. I, I'd rather, 
you know, sleep in the church, whatever, then, then this is killing me. Um, and these, I mean, these people were, you know, I mean, nuts. They all had what I call cam H eyes, you know, like, uh, one foot of the cuckoo's nest eyes, you know, just yeah. one minute they're, Hey, how you doing? The next minute they're, and they're talking to themselves and pacing the grounds for like an hour straight. And it was, it was, it was just like being back in the mental hospital. Yeah. And it, and it's, I'm just really happy that you had the wherewithal to actually get out of there, uh, and find a better place. Uh, even though it kind of, you know, uh, changes your financial situation a little bit more because it's a more expensive place you're living in. <laughs> it's, um, it's, I was paying one thirty-five a month. There is subsidized. So that's would be, it's automatically taken out of my Ontario disability check. This place is seven thirty-five. Wow. It's a huge and, difference. And you would think that, that ODSP Ontario disability would, you know, uh, make the adjustments accordingly and it would come out equal. But no, I actually, um, my actually my wages actually went down $150. So yeah. already was I in poverty, but now I'm living in a nice place, but there ain't nothing in it. Every I have mm -hmm. about three pieces of furniture that two of them were donated, and one of them I actually found in the garbage and just fixed it up. You know, and, and there's no food in the refrigerator. And I, I'm thankful, though, though, that I'm here and I'm amongst people that aren't loony bin people. And, they, mm -hmm. you know, there are people that are, you know, it's a, a pet friendly building and they're walking their dogs. And the average income of this building is like 85,000. I've just happened to be on the one floor they have to dedicate to subsidize people. Uh, but I see regular people and they say good morning and I say good morning. There's some normalcy there, so yeah. that's obviously conducive to. Uh, it's just you know. it's unfortunate that what uh, what the system can provide for you um, kind of doesn't. Well, but what they do provide uh, m makes people feel like they have to go to the the dangerous places because that's all they can afford. Um, luckily, you got out of that, uh, and even though. At the end of every month, you're suffering because, you know, you, you, it's not enough to live on. At least you're in an environment that is not going to kill you in three weeks, you know? Yeah, and I've only been in remission twice, one in 2013 and one um, somewhat now. Uh, mm -hmm. So I didn't do it. You know, I did it while I was in the severe category. I did it out of survival instinct and being frightened. Yeah, fear. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So... Uh, luckily, you know, I have a great social worker and a great organization that helps and, um, and, and they got me out of there. The other thing Jamie and I have always had in common, uh, is music. Ed, Jamie, and I were in a band, but, um, Jamie, like me, uh, was born with just a natural talent for music. Um, Jamie, of course, will deny this because he's humble and annoying sometimes. Uh, but he he is um, uh, he's amazing at drums. He's he's um, he was born a prodigy like me with music. He's a, is a, 
a natural drummer. He has natural rhythm. Um, a lot of drummers are drummers, and but he has much more depth than that. He has a real appreciation for um, for music in general, but um, overall sound, overall mix, uh, uh, instrument sounds, and dynamics, and um, all that stuff. And um, you know, we we were able to relate to that. We we've done a show on music therapy, but I would love to do a follow up with Jamie because he'd have some some great insights on that, and maybe some of the things that we shared, at least musically, that that you know were were good times. Well, I appreciate what you say. I'm not sure about any of that, but but I do agree that you have the the same natural born killer instinct for rhythm and melody and what have you so uh yeah it's something we definitely share and i think we both are affected by music that if you're in the right mindset it could be inspiring whereas i don't know that everyone has that i'm not saying i'm special that way or you are but i think it's different i've just seen the way and it no i everyone does have it and that's why music therapy is so powerful and and again being in that severe when you're in the severe category um as I explained before, but but for you, you'll understand that when you're in the severe category, like when I was in the uh, mental hospital, um, I deemed it the Chicago effect because them being my favorites. So like I was able to judge my mood on whether I could listen to Chicago or not. So if I played it and I immediately had this guttural, horrible, angry cry, I shut it off and okay, I know where I'm at. But if, you know, I heard it and I could either just listen to it and it's okay or I loved it, then, again, I knew where I was at. But for me, it's it's not a lot of middle ground. It's either, like, hell or an orgasm, you know? It, it's might I, yeah, it's yeah. so powerful. Yeah, might me. I add there, it's, 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 uh, it's a catch-26, though, is that when you have that feeling for music. He's so sarcastic. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's just that if either it inspires me or with all due respect to my children or the music that I'm forced to listen to, let's say in the car, I wanna I wanna take a hammer <laughs> to my temple. So you hate it as much as you love it. It's, that's yes, why they're, they're old enough now or at least it's not like, you know, uh what was that uh my Little Pony, or all of that. <laughs> I don't know what any of that is. I just I just know bad music affects me poorly. So if I was in a therapeutic program if you bet and i needed the music to inspire you better make sure you're playing the right kind of stuff otherwise i might i might uh, uh end my life <laughs> the cat goes meow <laughs> the pig goes coin <laughs> yeah i i know what you're saying and and yeah we share that love so needless to say we've done a show on on music therapy we intend to do it again because of the power of it uh it's also branched into art therapy and all kinds of other things. And, uh, I think you'd be great for it. So if you're willing, we'd love to have you back on and, and, and really just have a, uh, a good music chat on that and, and how therapeutic it is. Sure. I'd love to. And we've also been, uh, Doug and I have been, um, working on trying to get some recordings done, uh, with, uh, you know, two guitars and, uh, some recording software cool. and just trading, uh, you know, I'll record something and send the project over to Doug and then he'll record something and send it back. 
Uh, we haven't gotten too far yet, but we're working out the technical side of things. But it's something that personally I miss from all the years we've had of jamming together. Uh, and that's really what brought us together in college in the first place was music. Well, because musically um, we were the same as finishing sentences. You know, you would, you know, uh, break out a, a, a rhythm or you'd uh, break out a lead or whatever it is. And I would just naturally follow and it would just mesh. Yeah. And it was just like we both smiled and went, yeah, you know. Yeah. Is, yep. You know, and, and Jamie and I have that, too. And I, I, it's just another regret that I have that if I, you know, hadn't been born with this disease, you know, where Jamie and I would have gotten as brothers, yeah. business-wise, musically, um, me being able to be the uncle to to his kids. Sorry, yeah. I'm I'm gonna break down a little bit. Um, this happens, um, but it's important to me and to. You know, to be there for his kids because they're great kids and they don't get to see their uncle. And I don't want to be Auntie Ruthie. And I know Jamie wouldn't wouldn't uh, wouldn't do that. You know, I know that he's. I don't know how he's doing it, but I know that he's doing his best to not paint a negative picture. Yeah, um, of course. You know, to his kids about me. No. I know he wouldn't do that. It's just not in him. No, but uh, try to limit your regrets at this point. There's nothing you can do to affect anything, and you didn't do anything of this, uh, any of this on, on purpose. So you have to kind of limit right. the self, uh, self-beatings that's not productive. That's, you know, that's 47 years of learned behavior that, you know, two months of, of uh, semi-remission won't solve. So it's a day-to-day process but as long as growth is happening um and having you and hopefully some or all of the rest of the family is as a support mechanism will make that happen even faster great and i think that's kind of the message of this whole thing good absolutely does that make sense Mm -hmm. well well jamie i i want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for joining us today. Uh, this was a great conversation. Uh, I didn't talk much cause I wanted to let you guys just kind of have a natural conversation. I think we accomplished that. And you're uh, an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it shows, it really shows the importance of family. Uh, it, it's amazing how, how strong Doug reacts to whenever family is involved. And just the fact that you get it and you, you know, you came on the show, you talked um, and you understand what he's going through uh, just goes so far, goes miles uh, in helping Doug uh, get better. So thank you for that. I first asked Jamie, you know, were you willing to be on the show? Like at first I didn't even ask him because I figured it would be like, no, I can't do something like that. But he just said, yeah, name the date, you know, and this was last week. Yeah. No, I'm, so, I'm honored that you asked me. You know, I'm happy to do it, and I'm really again thankful for you, Ed, for doing it on a regular basis and committing to my brother because I know it's very therapeutic for him and important to get the message out. So you're playing a vital role, far more than I am. Well, thank you. Well, I'm to be honest with you. Uh, for me, this is a it's a fun project. It's a it's a project I get to do with my best friend, <clears throat> and and to me that's that that's means awesome. the world. So, no, that's great. You're a good man. 
Well, thank you. So are you. He is a good man. He is a good man. And, and thank you for the, the bottom of my heart, Jamie, for doing this. And I hope we talk more often. And um, as soon as this show is over, I'm going to listen to that song uh, with with you in my heart. And without getting more cheesy than that, um, you know, thank you and thank you. And, and I hope that that at least for now you can kind of play that liaison role to to the rest of the uh, nuclear family and and hopefully you know with time things will get better and better well i'm happy to do it and one quick other musical note ironically is that uh when i was driving home today i heard uh the chicago tune um what's the name of it feeling strong every day the one you love and that's my huh. theme song you remember that yeah i know that's your, your deal so i heard that today I tell you that. Oh, that's awesome. And you thought of me? I always do when I hear that song. That's the one I always think of. There's three songs I think of. That one, and then uh, uh, the White Snake tune. Uh, what is it? In the, in the, what is yeah, it? Heat of, here, I, um, is this love? No, God, no. That's awful. The, in, yeah. in the heat of the night. <laughs> oh, 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 I'm sorry. It? Still the night. Still, Still the night. Because, you know, we talk about the great jazzy chords the guy's playing. And then, of course... Uh, Oh man, what's that other one? And we're, we're going to get on Skype again. I'm going to show you that I actually figured out all those chords. Oh, that's awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. You'll be, you'll be impressed. I can't remember the third tune, but there's another one. It's a great guitar solo that I always think of you. Is this love? No, please stop it. <laughs> no, that's a great uh, guitar okay. solo. Yeah, maybe so. I can't get uh, through the. Uh... I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the song that always reminds me of Doug, and I don't know Doug if you'll. If you can guess what it is. Um, Think it, about college. Was it Mr. Rogers' theme song? <laughs> no. Um, I'm just blanking out. Tell me. Wooden Ships. Oh, Crosby, yeah. Crosby, Stills, yeah. and Nash. That's of course the two of us and your lovely wife uh, harmonized yep. that. Yeah. Yes. It wasn't. Uh, Jamie wasn't always into those sort of. Crosby, Stills, and Nash thing, but but I know we can appreciate it. Yeah. Well, because we're dirty, filthy hippies, and he's not. So <laughs> that's right. They're a little exactly. vanilla for me, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, vanilla chocolate strawberry, you're Neapolitan to me. I love you, and I thank you so much for being here. And 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 uh, I look forward to the next time we talk uh, privately. Very good. Enjoy it, guys. And again, thanks for doing this. Thanks for inviting me and including me. Anytime. Thanks a lot, Jamie. Take care. You too. Thank, thank you, brother. See ya. So that's our show for tonight. Uh, we want to thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Please follow us on Twitter at UnhingedPC and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash unhingedpodcast. Also be sure to check out our website if you haven't done so already. It's at unhingedpodcast.com. We'll see you all next week. Take care.